Jenny Turner with Lovejoy Real Estate. Today I'm going to be talking with Stephen Bowden at Academy Mortgage, just kind of about the market, what's going on, what we're seeing out there. Stephen, when you have clients say to you right now, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for interest rates to come back down. I'm going to wait for prices to come back down. What are you hearing and how are you, how are you talking about that with your clients? Yeah, so, so it's funny because for the last five years, people have said, I'm going to wait for the next crash and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait. So it's always funny because we say, well, look at what happened to the people that bought five years ago. Look where they're at today. Their values have doubled, things like that. Um, with interest rates going up and also values going up quickly, one of the things I always tell people is, can you, they, I had somebody the other day, uh, what if I saved an extra thousand dollars a month and waited six months? And my thing is, is always, can you save faster than the appreciation of the house right. that you're buying, right? So, so I would have For most you, people they can't. Yeah, right. Most people can't. So I'd have you run that scenario, right? Like, hey, what what would this house appreciate? And it's whatever the percentage is now. I mean, fifteen point eight for twenty twenty one. I don't think we're going to see that big of appreciation in twenty twenty two. I'm hearing five, six, eight, ten. I mean, nobody knows, right? Nobody really yeah. actually knows. But let's say it's five percent. People can't save even at 5%, which is a conservative number. Yeah. People can't get ahead of that in six months. No, not at all. So I would say if you're not out saving the appreciation on the homes, you're actually going backwards. So that's a big, I think that's a big, um, it resonates with people, right? We've been talking a lot with our clients about getting in the market. Like maybe you're not getting in the market on your dream house. Maybe you're not getting in with what you really, really, really want but jumping into the market so that you can start having that appreciation while you continue to save. So then two, three, four years, yep. you can trade in and buy up, yep. right? You can trade that smaller townhouse that you really didn't want a townhouse, but you could afford that today. And then you have some appreciation to launch you to the next one. Yep, I always say that. I always just say it's a springboard to the next home. Get what you can now, stop the rates from going up, stop the payments from going up, and the values from going up, because the second you buy, that all stops. Right. And then, you know, reevaluate, people get raises, you know, their incomes go up, things like that. Um, but yeah, that's a good, that's a... Rates have gone up a lot in the last couple of weeks, months, begin, yeah. beginning of the year. And I know for me, right now, we're at rate-wise, kind of where I expected to be by the end of 2022, mm -hmm. 2022, not March of 2022. Yeah. Did they go up faster than you thought? Faster than anybody thought. So we always have forecasters and they're just that, they forecast, but just like in Portland, they can never forecast the weather. So, so forecasting always happens kind of in the fall of the year before. Okay. So, so you had Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you had Realtor, you had Mortgage Bankers Association, they all did projections and they projected that we would be you know, high threes, low twos by the end of 2022. Okay. Um, and what, we hit that by January 5th? By the, by the <laughs> end of the first week in January, we hit, we hit into the fours. And yep. so, so right now, the reason and what's driving interest rates up is inflation. Um, and then uh, also accompanied with the mortgage-backed security purchases that the government was doing. And they're not doing as much of that right now, right? They're not doing as right? much mortgage-backed security purchases as they were. So it's a combination of that and inflation. And in the mortgage world, the investors who buy mortgage-backed securities don't like inflation. So when they see inflation, they want a higher return. Therefore, rates start, start creeping up. Well, it's interesting because a lot of our clients don't come to me and say, Jenny, I want to pay 500000 for a house. Or I want to pay five fifty. dollars I want to pay four fifty. They come to me and say things like, I want my payment to be $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Or I want my payment to be $3,000 a month. And so how does it... Like if rates are three and a half and now they're four and a half, that one percent is there any rule of thumb of how much buying power that takes? Yeah, so you so you lose about ten percent in your buying power. So if you were buying for every a, percentage. Yep, for one percent. So if you were buying a five hundred thousand dollar house and rates went up by one percent, 
to keep that same payment, you would now be buying a $450,000 house to keep that same exact payment. So you lose about 50 grand for, you know, in that specific scenario, you know, right. 10, 10%. Um, so it's a lot. It's a lot. But we've, we've been gradually creeping up starting last fall into the high threes. Now we're in the fours. And so what we do to combat that is client, what's your comfort zone? Where are you comfortable? And then I'm running live scenarios on properties as they're looking at them so that whatever that rate is for that day. The worst thing you could do is get an approval letter, sit on it for six months, right. and then not have somebody running scenarios for you because when they, they get their documents, they're going to be like, whoa, this is way different. So being active well, with the clients. And you think about it, buyer's buying power is going down on a monthly payment, but prices are still going up. Mm-hmm. Right? The market's crazy. It hasn't slowed people down. It hasn't slowed people down. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we will see, at least I expect that we'll see, some of our buyers will no longer be buyers. Because mm-hmm. those buyers that just barely qualified, just barely made it at 3.5%, no longer really qualify at 4.5%. Correct. Yep. Right? So, so what it did is it kind of took out the bottom of the, of the, the people at the bottom of the price points. The other thing that I think will be interesting as we move through this is I think it will also really affect our higher end properties. Because you take a bunch of people who have 2.8% 30 year fixed on their loans. And if I want to sell my house and I'm going to go buy a new house and now I'm going to have a 4.5% 30 year mm-hmm. fixed, I better really want to move yeah. to go from 2.8 to 4.5, right? Yep. So I think a few years from now, right? Because there's a cycle, right? People sell, and you probably know more than me, but you know, over three, four, five, six years. And they might not want to sell in year four or five because of their two point something Absolutely. interest rate. So that could affect um, inventory years from now. Yeah. I think it'll also be people will get more creative, right? Like mm-hmm. we're buying a rental property mm-hmm. and I didn't like the rate because rental yeah. property, investment property rates are up. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are dinging you more than they used to ding you. Yep. And so we're gonna take it off of our equity line because yep. my equity line's 3% yeah. and the rate I was quoted for the rental property is 4.875. Which, no. I mean, I have good credit. That's like, that was a good rate for a rental property, but I can tie it off my equity line. I think we'll see a lot of people. So a lot of people have built a lot of wealth through real estate, which is why we do it, right? right. So they built a lot of wealth through real estate recently. And what I see a lot of people doing is consolidation. Like I have a client right now, we're paying off all of their debt, literally everything. All they're going to have is just their mortgage. And in that case, yes, their rate's going up, but they're replacing high interest debts. Right. And so they're doing debt consolidation. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of people... Um, using their equity for things like buying second homes, buying you know you know rental properties, debt consolidation. So I think you're going to see a lot of that in the next few years because over the last five years, people have built right. a ton of wealth through their real estate. Well, and you take like Ron and Yvonne, they could take the extra money from the sale of their house and use it towards their purchase, mm-hmm. but they're choosing to use it to pay down some debt. Yep. And so it is, it's just making different choices. And I think, especially coming out of a pandemic, people are a little bit more conscientious about that. They're, a little, they're paying a little bit more attention to what do they have out there? What are their responsibilities? What are their liabilities? Yep. No, Totally. One of the things that I always get asked right now is about bubble. Like, is it a bubble? Is it going to pop? Is it going to burst? And, you know, I mean, you know, right now, Charles and I are buying a rental. Uh-huh. Like, we close the end of March. So, obviously, I don't think it's a bubble. I do think it's always a good time to buy investment property. What are you seeing from the financial side of that, though, with rates? And, and on your side, do you think it's good time for investors to buy? Do you see those rates coming back down for them? Yeah, I mean, from, from a rate standpoint, I mean, it, it, rates are risk-based, so primary residence, just imagine you have a, a, a consumer and we look at everything in, in, a, in a risk standpoint. So a foreclosure, 
Yep. Well, if the if let's just say that person goes through really hard financial hardship and they own a house and a rental property, what are they going to let go first? They're going right. to let the rental property go first. So that's why those carry higher interest rates because they carry a higher risk for the banks. They're always they've always had a higher rate than conventional loan, um, and that's because of that. Um, in terms of if it's good or bad, you know, it's all depends on the client. Right. And so I always tell people. Uh, in certain markets, it's not good to be a flipper, right? So when you're thinking invest, some people think uh, short-term and some people think long-term rental. Yep. Long-term rental is always a win, just like long-term in your 401k. Yep. Um, short-term is like when you're flipping things and you're in a volatile market, you, can get, you can get burned. Yep. So I think it depends on, on the, um, I wouldn't say the flavor of, that, of, that, of their, their appetite for risk. I right. talked to a client yeah. yesterday, and she has a really cute two-bedroom, two-bedroom, two one-bath in Sabin, close in, east side, a great little bungalow. They really want their next house, but they also want rental property. And I was saying to her, like, you should keep that house as a rental property. Like, live in it for another year or two. She has some stuff that she needs to clean up. She's got a new job. They have some debt they need to clean up. But I'm like, then keep that as a rental and go buy your next primary residence. Mm -hmm. And her concern was she might not have enough down payment or enough cash to be able to do that. Is there a way for her to access some of that equity in her rental to be able to then launch the next property? Yes. So, So a lot of people are doing that. So I call it leapfrogging from house to house. So what they'll do is they'll move into the house, fix it up, it gets better equity, right? They build equity, they live in it for five or six years, but it does pencil as a rental, right? It right. can break even or maybe even make them a tiny bit of money, but then somebody else is paying that mortgage for them. That's ultimately right. the goal. Um, so they can either go out and get a line of credit or we can actually do a cash out mortgage, but it only goes to 80% of the value. Okay. So that's where a home equity line of credit sometimes can go to 90%, 95%, depending on the HELOC. And that's a second mortgage on top of their first mortgage. So they would yep. keep their original mortgage, but then they'd have a second mortgage on top, probably at a higher rate. Yep, yep, definitely. And what they do is they'll take that money, use it for a down payment on the next house. Um, and it's most people don't realize that when you're going to buy a new primary residence and it's your second home or third home or fourth home, they think you need 20% down. You only need five right. as long as it's a conventional loan amount. So doing a 5% down payment, you're really not having, and I think that's the big misconception with a lot of people is like, oh, well, we're going to go buy another house, but we've got to have this big chunk of money because we're not first-time homebuyers anymore. That's yep. not the case. You can, you can do 5% down as a second-time, third-time homebuyer. The other thing that I was talking to somebody and we were talking about recasting, where mm-hmm. they want to buy their new house, they don't have a lot of money down to buy it until they sell their old house, but they want to get yep. it bought first. Mm-hmm. And I was telling them that they could buy the new house, and then once we sell their first house, they could use that money to pay down their mortgage. Is that yes. always true, or how does that work? It is true. There are some programs out there that don't allow, allow a recast, so you always want to talk to your lender on what program they're doing. But really, I get a lot of clients to do this. In this market, you'll get people who own their home for 20 years. And they have so much stuff. Right. And they're like, no, there's no way. We're moving. Like, but we don't want to be contingent. And we don't have to get rid of all of our stuff. So that whole thing. So we're like, okay, let's be competitive in this market. Let's not be contingent. Let's go ahead and we'll just come up with the money for the minimum 5% down. And then later do a refinance. That's what they normally come to me for. And I, as an honest broker, say... I don't want you to do a refinance. You have to accrue all those costs right. again. What we can do is we can re-amortize your loan through a recast. And then by doing that, your payment will drop and you'll keep your same term. So they keep their same rate. They keep everything. Because they put like another $200,000 down on their yep. house or whatever it is. Whatever their proceeds were from the sale of their house. Yep. And then what okay. they do is they maintain their rate. Nothing actually changes. The recast does cost money. So the lender has to go in, re-amortize, put a new amortization schedule, re-record that. So it could cost $1,000 or less, which is way cheaper than a refinance. Um, But that's a really viable option. A lot of people that are retiring or downsizing, or there's a hundred different reasons why you would do it. Um, But 
the most important thing is getting their offer accepted non-contingent and right. that's why a lot of people do it that way right. yeah because i mean it's it's yeah. impossible to be contingent right now it and is. i understand like i get the worry of where am i going to go i don't want to be homeless right i hear that all mm -hmm. the time jenny don't be yeah. homeless and we can almost always make that work but it's nice when people have the option and the ability to just be able to buy without selling, mm -hmm. get moved. Then we can take some time to freshen up the paint, do some stuff to the house. Because this market's so interesting. It's such an emotional market, not a data market. That I'm really finding for my sellers, the cuter we make their house, the clean, crisp, fresh paint, staging, whatever we can do to really make that house pop, yeah. they're making that back up in spades. Oh, yeah. Yep. I've seen that a lot. It's so amazing. It, right? it makes a lot. Of, a lot of the clients will say that. We're going to have a two or three month gap after we buy this next place get it fully out, yep. polish it back up, we'll get more money. Yep. I was with clients in North Portland last week and her colors were beautiful. Every single wall had a different color and it was gorgeous. And it looked good with her furniture and it looked everything great. And she looked at me about halfway through the appointment and she's like, you're gonna make me paint, aren't you? And I'm like, uh -huh. I am. Yeah. And she's like, but I love, I'm like, I know you love the colors. But that's the difference, right, between living there and staging it for sale. Uh -huh. And she does love the colors, and I know the house they bought in North Portland, they moved across not very far. I know the first thing she did was gonna be painting all, all of it. Uh -huh. But right now, as we speak, painters are there painting it all white yep. because we can broaden that market for her, right? Yep. And it will pop and look bigger with bright light, nice, fresh, and she'll make more money. Yeah, no, totally. So, you know, Stephen, we've been so spoiled, right? Because rates have been so low now. I mean, I got licensed a long time ago, so I've watched them go up and down. I remember when I told my clients, oh my God, you have to lock. Rates are 6.99, they're never going lower. Uh -huh. And then we got to like, what, 2.5 for some people. Mm -hmm. Now we're back up four, four and a quarter, just depending, right? Do you see them going back down or what it, like, what does your crystal ball tell us for the next three years? Where are we, what's gonna happen yeah. with rates? So crystal balls are, are hard to find. I know. Um, so it's, you kind of have to understand where we came from for the last couple years to where we are. Um, I always tell people we're in an environment of pre-pandemic rates, right? So, okay. so pre-pandemic, we're in that low fours. You might be able to kind of touch. I don't even remember touch that. That threes. was like so long ago. Yeah, I know. The, <laughs> yes, right. And so, so that was those were historically low, right? Mm -hmm. So before the pandemic hit, historically low rates were low fours, and you might be able to touch threes here and there. Okay. Um, pandemic hit. Those were artificial lows. The government came in and they said, "Oh my gosh, we have COVID. We don't want the rest of you know. We can't have everything going to crap. We have right. to have like we can't have the housing market go bad." And so they said, we're going to buy mortgage-backed securities. So the feds gave the treasury permission to invest in mortgage-backed securities. So they're an investor. They're, this isn't a bailout. They're actually buying mortgage bonds, getting a return. But they did it trillions, right. with a T, of, money, of dollars, buying down mortgage-backed securities to, to, to kind of keep that to stable keep it down during lower. COVID. So I always tell people that that was artificial lows. We had never hit those kind of rates on its own. Right, because right. investors buy mortgage-backed securities, not but the not government. that many, not that much. <laughs> right, and so so so, uh, are they going to go down? Yeah, they could go down a little bit. They're going to do the seesaw that they've always done. Um, I think pre-pandemic, before the government got involved, we were at a really good rates, and everybody was very excited. I remember when rates hit four nine nine, and people were like, "Oh my gosh, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen." And right? so like, now we get spoiled and we have very short memories when mm -hmm. it comes to interest rates. But what we have to remember is the rates in the fours pre-pandemic were amazing. Low fours, right. maybe touching a three was amazing. So I don't know if they'll go down again. It might take something pretty drastic for that to happen again. I don't really want another I pandemic. I don't want another pandemic yep. either. So, yeah. I mean, and you think about it, like before our time, you hear the stories of like 1981 and rates were 17, 18, 19%, mm -hmm. right? And 
buyers still need to buy houses, sellers still need to sell houses. Like we don't all work off of what the rates are doing or what the market's doing. You know, people get married, people get divorced, people have triplets. So like people still need to interact with real estate. Mm -hmm. It's just, what is that buying power? And we've gotten so spoiled. I feel like it's just hard to think about, gosh, rates might be in the fives. Yeah. So people focus sometimes too much on the rate. And so what they really need to focus on their comfort level. Mm -hmm. So what are you comfortable with paying each month? How much of a check right. are you what comfortable you, with writing at the what end? What can you afford? And, you know, and that's where you go out and you're trying to find a house that fits within that comfort zone. And it's going to be based on your interest rate. But your rate shouldn't be what's driving your entire search. Your comfort right. zone should be what's driving your search. Right. So, so that's a, the difference. Some people in the past few years, especially with technology, it's just rate, 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 rate. But what I've noticed and, and, and seen throughout my entire career is it doesn't matter what the rate is. You have a, a college student that just got their first job at Intel or Nike or OHSU or something like that, they're going to go buy their first house regardless right. of what the rate is. And they're going to make sure that payment's comfortable for them right. regardless of rate, right? So so rate doesn't crash our market. It just, it slows down refinances. Of course. But, but it doesn't, um, your families that are expanding, your people that are moving from other countries, all those things, those things still happen. Yep. People, it, uh, you can make housing very transactional, but at the end of the day, it's a home for somebody to live in. Exactly. And that's... You know, as long as it's in their comfort zone, that's what they're doing. And that's part of that jumping into the market, right? Because right now, they need to buy something. Maybe they can't buy in Woodstock anymore, right? I have great clients, and they're wonderful, fabulous, but, like, they really want to live in Woodstock, but their budget is really more like Gresham. <laughs> or maybe Milwaukee, maybe yeah. South Milwaukee, yeah. right? And they keep hoping, and we keep seeing houses come up on their market in their, in their price point. You know, they really want to be under 515, so they've been looking like 450, 475. But in Woodstock or Southeast, those 450, 475s, they go for 550 uh -huh. right now, right? And they don't want to pay 550, but they haven't, they haven't lost enough. They do believe us. They do trust us. But they're just really hoping that one of those won't go for that. Yeah. And so they keep making offers. You keep writing pre-approval letters. Yeah. We keep calling them on Tuesday and say, sorry, you didn't get your offer accepted. And they're gonna have to geographically go to a different area that they really want to be. Mm -hmm. Or they're gonna have to go to a townhouse, yep. right? If location's ultimately key for them, they can't afford the single family detached little bungalow that they're dreaming about. They have to be willing to do a townhouse or something, right? Something has yep. to give on that price, location, condition, and square footage. Yep. Townhouses and condos. So a lot of people that were on the bottom, like we talked about, uh, that were on the bottom with this rate pop, they no longer qualify for the single family residences. But you have townhouses and you have condos that yep. are still fairly affordable in Portland. Yep. You can find them here and there. Uh, HOAs you have to watch out for. Right. But you know that is something that you can pivot to for sure. And I would certainly rather a buyer buy a townhouse or buy a condo than stay being a rental. You know, mm -hmm. I was looking at a rental building for one of my employees today. And like the lady was like, yeah, it's a one bedroom, 700 square feet. It's um, 700 square feet, one bedroom, $18.95 a month. And she showed me the like terrace on the roof and the game room and the little like, I'm like $2,000 a month almost for a one yeah. bedroom apartment. I would way rather that buyer buy a townhouse or buy a condo, get some equity and then launch in three years. Uh -huh. Yeah, build their equity. And, and then here's the thing about equity, right? So you start out and say you have just a little bit down and here's your purchase price and here's your loan. Well, your value is doing this, right. but at the same time, your balance is doing this, right? So you're going in two different directions. Mm -hmm. When you're renting, 100% of your money just disappears. And I'll get people and I, and I always say, you're shifting your savings into a different form of savings. It's your equity. So, right. so when you pay rent of $2,000 a month, it disappears. When you pay a mortgage of $2,000 a month, a big chunk of that 
is going away as if it was a savings account. It's a different form of savings. And then in addition to that, you get the, be- the tax benefits, the tax write-offs of the taxes right. and the homeowner, the interest. So, but yeah. The only other comment I have though with that, is, which is interesting, is that like some of our buyers who barely qualify, they forget to take into account our other costs of owning, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just rent of 2000 versus mortgage of 2000 because the furnace might die or the roof might leak or yep. like those other things happen too, right? So we need them to have some wiggle in their budget and it works okay if you buy today and then your income continues to go up because that gets easier and easier to afford over time, right? But I like it when our buyers buy a little bit conservatively mm-hmm. and they aren't like stressing and maxing out their debt to income ratio because those like life happens, right? The yep. water heater dies. Yep. And that's, that's one of those reasons that we run those payment scenarios for people. What are you comfortable with paying? And sometimes if somebody's really pushing it, I'm like, are you sure? Right. Are you sure you want to do that? Because uh, that can get a little scary even for me doing their loan. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if we should be doing this for these people. Right. I mean, they're spending every dollar that they have. They're at the very max. Like, you know, because we, we calculate things off of before tax income. Right. So I get to see what their after tax income is and their debts. And I'm like, ooh, are you sure? Gives you $100 a week to live on. It's the top ramen life again. Right. So and that's who not wants fun. to be cash poor? Or, right. Who wants to be house poor? Like, house poor. Yeah. That's just not any, I mean, yeah. that's stressful, right? And I, we, I use that term a lot. You know, you don't want to be house poor. Yeah. Which is why when we're qualifying people, we don't even start with, oh, well, here's your max. Or how much do you want to buy? We start with, what do you want your payment at? Right. Well, how much money do you have to spend? What's comfortable for you? And then we're going to work backwards from yeah. there. We talk a lot about that too. Is like, it's not what the bank says you can buy. It's what are you happy with? Mm-hmm. And I want them to talk to you or talk to a lender before we go out and look at houses. Because if I show them an amazing property and they're like, this is it, Jenny, I love it. And that payment's more than they want to spend. I didn't do them any service. No. Right? Like, I want to make sure I'm showing them properties that do really fit their budget, which is why I love it when you give them the payments ahead of time, right? Yeah. Like, hey, did you run that through? Because sometimes taxes being a little different really make a big difference on payment. Huge difference. Um, yeah. You know, like you were talking, like our clients last week who went under contract, taxes were really high on that house. Oh, yeah. So their payment was a lot more than they expected because what else they'd been looking at had a lot lower taxes. Mm-hmm. And they might be able to, after the fact, argue those taxes down a little bit. But in the short term, they've got to take it what it is. And, yeah. and those taxes are just high. Yeah. Well, I have this thing. So, you know, you hear the word buyer's remorse. And I actually call it financial remorse. So most of the time when you see somebody and they get in a contract on a house, it's not because they didn't like the house. They like the house. But this is for a scenario where, say, they just had like an online approval letter. Mm-hmm. They got this generic approval letter three months ago. They went and wrote an offer. And that lender said, reach out to me when you need an approval letter. Right. You get the approval letter. They get to the house. They get their first set of documents and they go, oh my gosh. The, this they is didn't have any idea what it was going to month. This is this yep. much more. And I call it financial remorse. So a lot of times it's not really buyer's remorse because most of my clients don't bail on properties after they've gone into them and gone into contract. Um, because they know the cost ahead of time. Yeah, other right? than inspection and yep. things like that. But So I call it financial remorse, not buyer's remorse. And, and, I, and now that I've zeroed in and started saying that to people, it actually makes sense because if you look at any deal that falls out, um, a lot of times it's if somebody that has been working with somebody that's been working with them actively right. to keep them within that comfort well, zone. Well, it's education, right? They need to know what it's going to cost. Yeah. They need to know all the fees and costs. Yeah. Like it's not just what is your down payment, but it's also your closing costs. Mm-hmm. It's your prepaid interest, prepaid taxes, all those things kind of all lump into that too. So it's what's your cash to close, yep. what that's going to look like, and then what's that payment going to be? And then we talk a lot about like the next level of like utilities. Like if you've been renting an apartment, maybe you're not used to paying your own water and sewer yeah. and garbage and all those other things that come around with it mm-hmm. too, right? And so it's just making sure that whole financial picture yeah. is part of what they're looking for. Yeah, and I always tell people when they're when we're talking about that that in not only the payment but the out of pocket, I'm like, hey, you guys are gonna have to buy a lawnmower. 
you're gonna have to buy cleaning supplies guaranteed. Right. You're gonna paint your first week. So we don't want to drain you down to zero dollars yeah. in your account when you buy, because there are a lot of expenses. Totally. Yeah. Yep. I usually usually have to buy a new shower curtain. Same yeah. idea, yeah, right? right? Like, yeah. yep. You know, <laughs> sometimes, Stephen, I get asked, like, is it worth it, right? And I think back in my world, you know, I was just in Vegas at a conference and somebody was talking about one of the speakers said to this big group of realtors, is it a buyer's market or is it a seller's market? And we all kind of looked at him like he was stupid and we're like, it's a seller's market, obviously. And he's like, it's not, it's a buyer's market. He's like, because your buyer who bought six months ago is so happy they bought six months ago. And your buyer who bought a year ago is so happy they bought. And your buyers today should freaking buy a house because they're gonna be more expensive tomorrow, right? There's a funny little meme that goes around that shows a guy showing a house to a couple and they're walking out of the house and the the caption says, the wife says, I'd like to see, I like this house, but I'd like to see something more expensive. And the realtor says, no problem, I'll show you this house tomorrow. Cause like everyday house prices are going up, right? Is it a good time to buy? Like, do you think it's a good, should people jump on it and buy now if they don't own a house? What is your opinion on that? I think so, absolutely. I mean, you build wealth through real estate. And, you know, uh, people always say, well, when is it gonna crash? When is it gonna crash? And I always say, well, it'll plateau at some point. And and what we're talking about is that mass appreciation, right? Right. So we're not talking about, and I've talked about, you start here with your, your, your purchase price, and then you've got your loan. Your loan's always doing this. Yep. So even if this one, the value isn't going crazy, you're still doing this. You're, you're still, still building ahead. wealth through real estate. And so that's always a good thing. And it, and it also goes down to is, are you short-term person or are you long-term person? Right. Um, but I absolutely think that I always call it ripping the Band-Aid in a market like this, where as soon as you buy, it stops that from going up like that. Right. Um, but people always ask, you know, oh, well, is it going to crash? Well, th- we all know that's not going to happen. We did horrible loans to horrible to people back in the early 2000s. Yep. And, and it's hard to get a loan today. I mean, there's loans out there, but you have to like T's are crossed and I's are yeah. dotted and we do everything but blood samples now. So we know that everybody's <laughs> going to get a loan that deserves to get a loan. Yep. And so we're not going to have these mass foreclosures like we had before. So there will be no crash. And then people say, okay, well, what the market? The market's going to, okay, it might cool down. Right. I mean, like you said, it's, there's a 15% appreciation right now. Right. And we well, can't, that's so not that, sustainable. That might, that might plateau. But who cares if it plateaus? Because guess what? It'll do this at first. And, right. and we don't know how long that's going to last. But it'll do that. And then it might plateau. Yep. But but guess what? You're still paying your balance down every month. You're still building wealth through real estate. So. Well, and you're locking in your cost, right? Mm-hmm. Like rent goes up every month. I know mm-hmm. in our rentals, like one of the things we're getting ready to do is raise the rent a little bit because I have to raise the rent a little bit because my taxes went up, my other stuff went up. Yeah. But when you're a rental renter, you don't get to lock that in, right? Like on my mortgage, I know that my mortgage is going to be the same with a little variation for taxes and insurance for the next 30 years. Yeah. And so even though everything else, like, I mean, my God, gas prices, like everything else is going up right now. <laughs> But at least my housing cost yeah, is fixed, right? 100%. And for a rental renter, your housing price isn't fixed. Yeah, no. And you're not stashing any money that way. I really want to go back in time when like, because sometimes you talk to people who are older and they're like, I paid $32,000 for this house, right? Even my husband's parents' house, they put it like 134000 for it. And now it's worth, you know, I don't know, $1.2 million or something, right? Yeah. Like I can't imagine looking back, but at some point people are going to look back and be like, in 2022, I only paid five fifty for that house. Uh-huh. Whereas right now we're like, oh my God, it's so expensive. Yeah. You know, no, it's just that it's, different point well, of reference. And then building the generational wealth, right? You know, there's a lot of people that are buying as first-time buyers, as the first person in their family to ever buy. Right. And, you know, you do that and you start leapfrogging from house to house, right? Because your first, your average first-time home buyer, this is their first house. Yep. It's also, they're all probably at their first or second job. Yep. So ultimately, people want to get raises and they want to do those things, but they can do that, stop the house prices from going up on them, build that wealth, right? Right. That and then leapfrog into the next house. It's always my favorite things. We just had when Nicole just sold a house to a couple. They were the first 
people in their family to own a house in three generations. Yeah. And like, and it wasn't a very nice house. It was a starter house. It was a leapfrog house. It was something that they could put some sweat equity into. But when we gave them keys, the entire family, like multiple generation were there cheering this young couple on. And like, that's the fun part, right? Like, it's that like, you did it. You can change your family tree. You can Mm -hmm. be a homeowner. You can go through and do it. I had clients buying Kaiser last summer and it was a VA loan, which sometimes adds some complications. And in this particular case, the buyer's dad was the lender. So we had some complications because dad thought he knew how it was and wasn't really in touch with what the market is right now. And I finally said at one point to the dad, I'm like, they don't have to buy this house, but buying this house changes their family tree. Because if they don't buy this house, they're not going to be able to afford Like They just barely could qualify, right? And VA, yeah. as you know, it's hard to get an offer accepted. And I'm like, this changes their legacy. Yeah. And dad had rental property, so dad got it. But I'm like, this young couple needs to be a homeowner. Yeah. Like, let's make this happen. Yeah. And in the end, they got keys and they, we made it happen. But I'm like, but ultimately, they have to want it, right? We can't want it more than they want it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I always, I always say it's like like the train's moving and you're not moving. You're standing there watching right. it. And it, it, at some point, that caboose is going to hit and you might miss the whole thing. And in a market where the values are going up like that, if you are a first-time homeowner and you are in the bottom spectrum, you just got to grab on right. and just get on there. And you know, I think a lot of people will over, overthink it. They, they need oh, yeah. the four bedrooms and they need the fancy view or they need you know, the champagne taste on the beer budget. Yep. And... You can't do that going in. And a lot of people have that. And And sometimes I say that to the clients, right? Like, I know this is what you want, but you're not there yet. This is where you are. Embrace it. Be there. Own it. Figure out what's the most important, right? Okay, a yard's really important to you. Great. Let's find a townhouse with a yard. You don't need to have that single family detached house because you're just not there yet. But that buyer will be there in two or three years, right? Like, I, I mean, right now, especially with the crazy appreciation, I have a couple buyers, well, they're sellers now, who bought two or three years ago from me. And they have enough... Equity to launch easily into their next property. Mm-hmm. But they need to get the new, the old house sold first, and that's kind of scary. And we have to talk a lot about like timing and all that stuff because they don't qualify to buy two, you know, to own two. But they can buy the acreage, the small parcel, the little more space, a little more privacy that they really wanted three years ago, but they couldn't afford three years ago. Yeah. And now between a little more income and lots of equity, they can do it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the first-time home buyers are putting three to five percent down. But by the time they're selling, they've got 20, 25% equity. Totally. Because it's doing those two things, right? Value's going up, balance is going down. And you, you, I see that a lot. But one thing that's funny is you'll, we'll get people that own a house that have, say, a $2,000 payment, and they want to buy a house that's bigger and nicer, and they still want a $2,000 payment. Well, it doesn't mm-hmm. quite work like that. Right. Um, it does give them a huge start, because when you have a 3 to 5% down loan, you have mortgage insurance, quite a bit of it. Right. So on the next house, instead of doing 3% down, you might be doing 10 or 15% down. Which lowers the mortgage insurance. Which will insurance. lower that m- m- mortgage insurance and lower that payment. So it really does help jumping from one to the next. Yes, your payment's going to go up, though. Yeah. A lot of people think that's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, but what's yeah. interesting is I actually find for clients, like sometimes I have the opposite problem happen where somebody stayed in a house for a really long time. And so they've been in that like 550, 600, 650 house for 12 or 13 years. And now they can afford the $1.2 million house. But it's such a big jump that they really struggle with it. Where they'd really be better emotionally, like if they would have like sold at five, bought at seven, sold at seven, you know, bought at nine, and creeped their way Gradually, up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like sometimes that big jump yeah. is is even scarier Scary. for people, uh-huh. right? So yeah. it's such an interesting. Like there's just there's no right or wrong, right? It's yeah. just figuring out what works for you, what works for your family, mm-hmm. and how to have that how to have that investment. Yeah. And I always say there's no two people the same on their comfort level. 
You might have somebody that like is a total homebody, doesn't go out to eat, doesn't leave the house. Right. They're cool with a higher mortgage payment. Right. Somebody else who likes to travel and go out to dinner all the time, things like that. They have, they're cool. You know, some people always ask Sometimes me, Sometimes those people yeah. are married to each other. Yes. <laughs> right? I know. That's the worst. <laughs> but, you know, it's people say, what's your rule of thumb? for Like, how much of a mortgage should I have? Is it a third? And you go online, you follow all sorts of articles on it. And I'm like, it depends on you. Right. You know, every single person is going to be a little bit different. Right. Nope, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm a much more aggressive in my investment than Charles is. Yeah. And so we, we clash on that a little bit sometimes, yeah. right? And and it's good we balance each other out. And I think that's nice yeah. when you when you there is a little bit of balancing that out. Um, because yeah, it's hard it's hard to know the right the right thing. Yeah, totally. Okay, so Steven, here's my question. More and more I'm getting clients asking me about buying a house with Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Can I come to you and say, Hey, all my money's in crypto, can I buy a house? Like, does that work? As long as it goes from the crypto into the banking system, then I can use money that's in the banking system. So we can track it through. Like, it's okay if it's crypto as long as it gets translated into dollars. Correct. Got it. Yeah. Did you know the first house just sold on the blockchain? Just happened. Florida, maybe? I've got to learn more. Like, I'm really curious about this because I don't know a lot about this. I don't either. Yeah. And we, like, we're getting more and more. Um, I was at a conference in Vegas last week, and they were talking about it. And the... CEO or CFO of property was there talking to us. And like I said to Charles at one point, like, it's like she's speaking French. And Charles said, I know more French than I know about this. And so it's something that we're working on learning about right now. Mm -hmm. Because like saying like the first household in the blockchain, like I know kind of sort of what that means, but we're having to really work on educating ourselves. Because I definitely have clients out there asking me questions about it. Um, we came back from that conference and Charles bought some kind of crypto. I don't even know what we own. <laughs> and it's a small percentage. And he's been watching it and it's really volatile, right? And of course, like when we bought it, it's been, it went way down right after we bought it. So I'm like, damn it, we timed it wrong. But that stuff's a long game, right? You can't do that on the short game. And it has to be like, because it's so volatile, it has to be a small percentage of your, own, of your world, right? Yeah. Like it can't be, if I lose all of that, it can't devastate me. Yeah. If I was an investor, I, I would have a portion of it, just like anybody diversifies their portfolio, right? Yeah. Um, but from a lending standpoint, I mean, we can use money, but it has to be in the banking system. Right. So you can't just say, oh, hey, I'm transferring money from crypto to, to escrow. It needs to go through the banking system, get into a bank. Well, and if you think about it. how volatile it is, maybe they have enough for their cash to close on Thursday, but maybe on the following Monday when it's time to pull it out, they don't have enough cash yeah. to close, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful about that too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's something, I mean, we're definitely, like both of us are gonna have to get more educated around it. Totally. Because that is the way it's going and that is the world mm -hmm. and we have to understand it. Yeah. Jenny Turner with Lovejoy Real Estate. Steven, thank you so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. If you wanna hear more, learn more, DM us, follow us on social, reach out, we'd love to help. Thank you for having me here today, Jenny. I'm Steven Bowden with Academy Mortgage. If any of you have any questions, feel free to reach out.